the text that I've chosen, even though this is the Sunday before Thanksgiving, I thought I might do something about Thanksgiving, or I might do something about, uh, from 2 Corinthians, comfort one another with that comfort with which you've been comforted, since you are uh, currently experiencing a great struggle. Instead, today is a great celebration because you're ordaining one new ruling elder and installing two others. The Lord has been grateful and uh, thankful, or, or faithful to you in, in adding to your leadership. And so that's the, uh, that's the focus that I wanted to do today. Uh, so let me invite you to turn with me to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 17. While you're turning there, let me bring things into context because I only get one short uh, Sunday morning to do this uh, for you. Uh, you understand, you know, I'm certain that, uh, that Paul, the apostle, is writing to Timothy, his protege, his, his uh, pastor in, uh, in progress, his intern pastor, so to speak. Uh, for 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, both of those books, Paul is giving instruction to the young new pastor to be the young new elder. Paul begins in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, where we are today, to give uh, Timothy a picture of, of himself, a, a picture of Paul himself. I, I need you to have the right view of the minister and the right view of ministry, Paul is saying to Timothy. You have to have the right view of the elder before you understand the right view of the elder's work and what it is that we have been appointed to do, called by God to do. And so Paul focuses on himself, his own sinfulness, and then from that, he turns to this beautiful blessing of grace, now to have a right understanding of the work to which Timothy and Paul had both been called. So this passage actually can be um, applied to all of us. You don't have to be a, an elder in the church for this passage to, to make sense to you this morning and to be applicatory for you this morning, although I did select it because we are... Uh, ordaining and installing new elders today. So we'll make applications in both ways. So let's then give our full attention to the, the reading and preaching of God's word. I'm not certain if you do this, but uh, if you don't, pardon me, stand if you're able for the, the, the reading and the preaching of, or the reading of God's word. I promise I'll let you sit down after I finish reading. From verse 12 of chapter 1. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this very reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what we are not, uh, teach, uh, give us. What we know not, teach us. Open our eyes to behold beautiful things from this portion of your holy law, please, we ask. And be glorified in sealing it to us by the work of your spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Please, friends, be seated. Uh, 
there was a, an article in the Wall Street Journal several years ago about a man by the name of uh, Rick Murdoch. And Rick Murdoch was a, a younger man that had founded a biotech company that he called CellPro. He wasn't feeling all that great, and so he made a, an appointment to go see his doctor. And his doctor informed him after a few tests that he had an advanced form of lymphoma, and the outcome was not very good. He gave him little to no hope at all. Well, it just so happens that Rick Murdoch, along with uh, his biotech company, was working on a new drug, a drug that would uh, show some kind of favor toward attacking this particular type of cancer that he had, but there were a couple of problems with that. The first was that FDA had not tested it, nor had they approved it yet. And secondly, no human had ever even consumed the medication. Rick Murdoch decided that he was going to be the first guinea pig. He was going to try it, and he did. One year later, visiting his doctor, his doctor said, you're cancer-free. Now, I don't know much about Rick Murdoch, but this I do know, friends, and that is if the FDA does finally approve that drug and it hits the market, I know Rick Murdoch is going to be its number one salesman. He has got a story to tell about how that has changed his life dramatically, and he will be, for that particular drug, its number one salesman. What is it about our nature, friends, that... We think we need to see the difference that something else makes in someone else before we are willing to embrace it. Uh, that diet that you're on or that exercise plan that you've taken or that medication that you found, that vitamin, whatever it is, we, we have to have someone else do it first, test it first, and then we want to see the difference that that has made in that individual's life before we'll embrace it and put it into practice thinking that it's possible that it will bring some type of a difference in my life as well. But you know, friends, the same is true with the gospel, isn't it? If you think about it, think about individuals that are out in the world, outside of the context of the visible church, what do they need? They need to see that this gospel is actually effective in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. They need to see that this gospel is playing itself out in us such that we are completely different than we were before that gospel was applied by the work of his Holy Spirit. And then they will be curious enough to ask questions or to follow into the place where they would receive, embrace that particular gospel. But it's also true for those of us that are inside the visible church, people like you and me inside the context of this particular building. We want to see this gospel effective in the life of our elders and in our deacons to know that the shepherds over us, the servants over us, have been so affected by this gospel that it actually works for them that they are the gospel's number one salesman and they need to see that, we need to see that in our officers, the officers of the church, to know the difference that this gospel makes. That's what Paul is telling Timothy right here. Timothy, you've got to be the number one salesman of the gospel he does first, so showing that it's, it's done that for him, hadn't, doesn't he? 
In verse 15, Paul's saying to Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying, and it de- uh, demands full uh, acceptance uh, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul begins where Paul typically begins, and that is he begins with sin. He doesn't sweep it under the carpet. He calls it what it is, and he's pointing directly to himself. He's pointing to his own sin. And notice what he says at the end of verse 15. He says, of whom I am the foremost. Not I was, not now that the gospel has been applied to me, now I have reached perfection and I don't sin anymore. I've achieved glory even though Christ hasn't come yet again a second time. He's not saying that. He is saying he is a desperate sinner, saved by grace, yes, but he is currently in that state. I am the foremost, a desperate sinner. Jonathan Edwards spoke about this not long after he got to his pulpit in Northampton. He said, I, I, I believe now I'm a worse sinner now than I was before. When I hear the, the prayers and the confessions of my people, I think to myself, their sins don't even hold a candle to my very own. I wonder if you see yourself that way. Elders, do you see yourself as a desperate sinner, a chief of sinners? Do you see yourself as foremost? Finding ourselves in that particular place, friends, desperate, drives us back to the only place where we find hope. It is the gospel in Christ alone. That's what Paul says in verse 15. He says, this is a trustworthy saying. It can be believed. You can wrap your arms around this particular statement that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. We're desperate sinners, yes, but we are redeemed sinners only by the finished work of Christ himself. Paul is saying, I want you to see I want you to see how desperate I was only for this reason because I want you to see how glorious the gospel is. I'm telling you all of these things about me, Paul says. I'm telling you these things about me so that you will see how great the gospel is at work in my life. That's why I'm telling you these things. Donald Gray Barnhouse was the pastor at 10th Presbyterian in downtown Philadelphia. He preached a revival service with two other pastors seated up on the chancel. The first pastor came to the pulpit. He began to preach and he began to tell his own personal testimony about all of the the evil things that he had done in his life, recalling one after the other after the other. And all of the folks in the congregation were just... They were sitting on the end of their seat. They were salivating as he, he he went into great detail of all the horrors that he had committed in his life. He sat down and the second guy got up. He started off on his testimony and he trumped everything that the first guy had said. He added even more sins, more horror to the life that he had lived before. And the people were all perked up yet again. And then he sat down and Donald Gray Barnhouse stepped to the pulpit and he said, I have a far greater story than either one of those guys have even shared with you. And the people thought, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be wonderful. I can't imagine what, what else that he could say that he has done. And Barnhouse said, my story is greater than theirs for this reason, because Christ kept me from all of those things. 
That's the gospel, friends. Paul is not telling Timothy, look at all of the evil things that I have done. I was a wretched person. I trumped your sins a hundredfold. No, Paul is saying, look at all of the, the evil things I have done. Look how desperate I am so that you can see now how redeemed I am. As Jack Miller used to put it, cheer up, you're worse off than you think you are. <laughs> but then he followed that by saying, cheer up because the gospel is greater than you ever imagined. That's what Paul is saying. This is the right view you need to have, oh Timothy, fellow elder. You need to have a right view of yourself, that you are a desperate sinner, but you have been redeemed by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. When you understand that, oh elder Timothy, then you'll understand what your work is. That's what he goes on to say in verse 16, that I receive mercy for this very reason. That in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Now he gives us this direction of a right view of what the elder is called to do. And he begins with the essence of God. He's already said it. Back in verse 13, I received mercy. He says it again in verse 16, but I have received mercy. It is the Greek word uh, that is the, from the, the Hebrew translation of chesed, that word in the Old Testament that means long-suffering or long of nose, literally translated. The Lord, the Lord, strong and mighty, long in his suffering for us. This is the Greek version of that word. And Paul, the apostle, is saying, this is what I have received. This is the, the very reason. That's what he's, look at verse 16. For this very reason, this is why Christ came, to display his mercy to me, to give me more of that mercy, so that in receiving that mercy, now I can display that perfect patience as an example for those who are to believe, or literally translated, for those who are destined to believe, the future tense. Paul is saying, Timothy, the work of the elder is such that you understand that God has been merciful to you, long-suffering with you, long of nose, and now you are to be long of nose, long-suffering, and merciful with others. Those of the elect that have not yet bowed the knee to Christ, the ones that, have, that, that Christ died for, that he destined for their security in heaven, those are the ones that you are to give your life to as, a, as, a, 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 as an example of patience and mercy. And then we're to take great encouragement in that. Look at verse 12. I thank God who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he appointed me to this service, even though I was this way. I have found great strength in this, Paul says. He's communicating to Timothy, elder, Oh, elder, fellow elder, here is our work, that we are to find strength in this gospel and live it patiently out among our sheep. Because the evil one, friends, listen, the evil one desires to tear us apart internally to show the world that we're nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. But elders... We take great service. We take great strength in the fact of knowing that he has appointed us to this office. He has called us to this office for this sake because sometimes, elders, listen, sometimes the sheep are the very ones that are making us weary of the work to which we have been called. 
That's why we're often referred to as sheep. Stink. They're stinky. They're stubborn. Just like me. Just like you. And yet, this is the encouragement that is ours as elders of the church. The strength that is ours. That we have been saved by the gospel of grace. And now... We're turning our people to that same gospel because we are the gospel's number one salesman. You should see it in us. You should hear it in us as we come alongside encouraging you, praying for you, and seeking to build you up in this most holy faith that's ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. H.A. Ironside, I don't know if you're familiar with that guy's name or not, but H.A. Ironside once told a story about a young woman who made her way to the largest church in town, to the, the, the manse behind the largest church in town, pouring down rain one night, began knocking on the door asking, Uh, for the pastor of the church, the chief elder of the church. I need you to come. I need you to come with me and help help my mom. I need you to come. I told her I'd find the the pastor of the largest church in town, and and you're it, so I need you to come help my mom. The pastor said, oh, dear woman, if, if your mom's not smart enough to come in out of the rain, then there's nothing that I can do for her. Oh, no, 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 she said. She's dying She's on her deathbed, and I need you to come. I need you to come and give her, give her some kind of hope. Oh, the pastor said, there, I know several other missions down in that part of town. Uh, let's, let's find someone else to go do that for you. Oh, no, no, she said. I told my mama that I would go find the, the, the elder of the largest church in town, and you're it, and, and I need you to come. And so he went. All the while, thinking about that gospel that he had been preaching in his pulpit, about his own character, his own personal reformation and engaging the culture around him. And that's how we would win others for Christ. And he made his way down a very dark alley, up a flight of very narrow stairs into a slum that opened up in utter darkness and he found an old woman dying on the bed in the back of the apartment. He walked up to her and he thought to himself, I I, I can't tell her that she's that she's got to find some kind of uh, uh, character in her in her own self or or personal reformation or engage in culture. There's there's no time for that. She's too far gone. There's no there's no hope for this woman. And then the thought came: Ah, I'll just I'll just tell her what my grandmother used to tell me. He knelt down by her side and said, "Dear woman, dear woman, for God so loved the world." that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Really, she said? Really? It, it, it says that in the Bible? Oh, yes. But what about my sin, she said. What about my sin? You don't know how sinful I've been. Oh, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all of our sin. All of our sin, she said. It cleanses us from all of our sin. Ah, how about this one? Here is a trustworthy saying and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Ah, she said, if the chief can get in, then I know I can get in too. Ironside went on to say that elder knelt down beside that bed 
and two wayward sinners got into heaven that night, the old dying woman and the pastor who had abandoned the simple gospel of grace. Friends, this is an exciting day in the life of Providence Church. You're ordaining and installing elders that are living out the gospel as its number one salesman before you, pointing you in word and in deed to the only place where an abundant life is found. This is a trustworthy saying. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. Thanks be to God.